You are listening to Around Comics, episode 200. 200! Chicago, this is Around Comics, the comic culture podcast, where each week our revolving panel of guests talk about everything in and around the world of comic books and comics culture. And Around Comics is recorded at Dark Tower Comics and Collectibles, located at 4835 Northwestern Avenue in Chicago. If you're in the area, please drop by. Hey there, Actually, folks. The only guy on the panel who's revolving is Tom. Yeah, that's because I spent all this money on this sweet, lazy Susan. <laughs> They put she might be lazy. <laughs> He's spinning, but her Keep name is Susan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey there, folks. I'm Christopher Neesman, and uh, riding alongside, as always, is Mr. Tom Caters. Hello. Yeah. How you doing, buddy? We're tied together forever. I know. It's yeah. so, on know, the internet, at least. Well, I, I had to divorce Sal, and <laughs> and so now it's you and me, Tom. I Google my name, and your name comes up right next to him. Yeah, you're his rebound co-host. <laughs> That's all right. I'll move on to Hillary next. Whoa. <laughs> Speaking of sloppy thirds. <laughs> Mr. Hillary Barda, how you doing? Welcome back. Uh, it's nice to be back. I know, it's starting to turn into a into a nice little uh, um, he said weekly that with occurrence. A, he said that with a question mark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I was I about to say it was nice not to be here for a while, but uh, that wouldn't have been polite. So, yeah, exactly. That's how I feel. Uh, back from uh, last week is uh, Mr. Steve Bryant. How you the doing? The illusion of oh. editing. <laughs> We didn't just record that episode. Oh, no, no. Um, it's live. nice to know that Mark's going to let me out of Dark Tower after a week <laughs> in the back with the gimp mask on. Help! I'm, I'm, well. I'm trapped in the Dark Tower! Help! The evil you know, is trapped! Draw. I have a question about you and you and Tom's relationship. Yeah. Does, that, does that make Vince be like your weekend girlfriend? Or is, is it like a fatal attraction thing? Because I know he's he's all about your sexy podcasting pipes. He's my, he's my side guy. I wouldn't okay. touch him. I wouldn't touch him. He's all Chris. <laughs> Chris is a slut, obviously. Talk yeah, about a bizarre obviously. love triangle. Yeah, I am. I'm a podcast slut. It's getting kind of frightening. Speaking uh, of that, what, where else can we find you? <laughs> yeah, 11 Chris. o'clock comics uh, every uh, Thursday or Friday. Look at that. I, I said win. it as a joke. And he's like, this is a good opportunity. Why miss an opportunity? Yeah. Uh, that salsa? It's delicious. Tom Cater's salsa. Spicy, mild, sweet, and uh, sweet and sour. And my, drunk. Favorite, my favorite is the chocolate chip salsa. Yeah. That's your, your best recipe Chocolate yet. chip candy salsa, everyone. Nice. And uh, uh, the, the colorist um, for both Steve and Hillary on multiple projects. Uh, I see round, this is coming together. Rounding out the roundtable, Mr. Jason Malay. Hi. And uh, also the fiance of someone I went to high school with. Yes. Very small. enough. I know. Weird. It is weird. weird. 
It is kind of odd. Yeah. But yeah. Very small world. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So anyone? Uh, so everyone? What do you uh, think of her in high school, Chris? Um, <laughs> you don't remember her. <laughs> now, no, I do remember her. <laughs> Did she ever go to one of those strip mines? No, you? this is where, where you'd <laughs> kill somebody and leave them in the strip mine. <laughs> I know. Date, but, uh, Chris was dating much younger at the time. I, I understand. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to know how young. Come no, on to this strip this mine. This is really. I mean, I grew up like like seven hours. <laughs> South of Chicago, <laughs> and so it's not like Jesus this is a, a suburb of Chicago. Small it's a, town, yeah, very small. Illinois. Yeah, so, so I don't know how that happens. Very, don't worry, very folks. <laughs> it gets more interesting later. Yeah. Right <laughs> oh, comics, right? The more you right, drink, comics. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of small towns. <laughs> <laughs> We remind everyone that this episode of Around Comics is brought to you by InStockTrades.com. We're waiting for the trade. It has never been easier. InStockTrades.com offers a huge selection of the collected editions you need. InStockTrades is your source for trade paperbacks, deluxe hardcovers, essentials, showcases, archives, absolute editions, omnibus editions, and more. All at great discounted prices. And remember that all orders over $50 ship for free. And right now, InStockTrades is offering our new book club selection, Tom B. Lands, true story, swear to God. Tom D. Lands, true story, swear to God, archive of volume one for a fantastic 47% off the cover price. The first 17 issues of the six time Eisner nominated series are collected here for uh, and available to you for a mere $10.59. And that Wait, is, has uh, he been nominated six times and not one? Steve was not. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's like uh, uh, Susan Lucci. He's the Susan Lucci of comics. Oh, he should have won one. That's not bad. I'm just saying. It's an honor to be nominated. It doesn't say Eisner Award winning. It is six-time nominated. I'm just saying. Steve was nominated. I'm not dissing anyone who gets nominated. I've never been nominated for an Eisner. Let's hope that never happens. Hey, I had an inker of mine who was nominated, and he won. But I wasn't nominated as a bachelor. <laughs> Life isn't fair. You're mostly known as an anchor. What's, what's uh, the tragic well, when irony? I did Plastic Man, someone inked me named John Nyberg, and he won as best anchor. Did you I show up when he won? And Actually, did I don't, you crowd into any picture? I don't remember <laughs> now if he won as the anchor, but he was nominated. And yeah. that, it was just, I, yeah, I never let him forget that. And then Hillary kneecapped him. <laughs> yeah. Like a miniature Batman. <laughs> I showed kneecap. him, I never let him ink me again. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that guy ink after that. <laughs> yeah. he's, a, he's in a strip club, or he's in a, in a strip mine. Or a strip club. Or a strip club. Yeah, you can do both. <laughs> he had to John, learn to the pole dance. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I need help. Well, hey, we, uh, yeah. we have a colorist on the he panel today. He deserved the award. He's a, he's a, John's a great Oh, now you're backpedaling. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, that wasn't the joke, okay? <laughs> Wait, sorry, I'm wiping some marshmallow off my chin now. <laughs> I don't understand. What was the joke? That he didn't deserve it? or Just the irony, because Hillary's primarily an inker. Oh, the irony. You know, Tyrannic on a number of levels, I think. There's more. If John was here. He could tell us interesting stories about his uh, an early job he had. He worked at a a, a porno shop in DeKalb, <laughs> Illinois, in, called in the Grotto. Yeah. Nice. 
And what? the stories he told me about that place, hilarious. He'd have to mop up and back, you know, and the booze uh, and everything. Boo. You booze? The booze, yeah. No, okay. Booze. The booze. Okay. The booze. No, not the nudie booze where guys are going and... Yes. Oh, never mind. Gotcha. Anyway, uh, <laughs> back to small town. And spill the quickly. <laughs> That's where we learned how to ink. <laughs> wow, this one came off, out. This came off the track really <laughs> quick tonight. Anyway, so well, tell the color out there. Call him. <laughs> what I wanted to, uh, to kind of start off with tonight is we have uh, uh, Jason on the panel who uh, has uh, had the honor of, of coloring both Steve and Hillary's work. It's it, an honor. It, it kind of it, it occurred to me. Set the bar a little higher a, there, pal. It's an honor. We haven't really talked about colorist on on the show very often and yeah, it, well if you invited them maybe you'd talk about coloring well it's, uh, yeah. i don't know that many colors personally jason's yeah. one of the, one of the few colors i know there are some other great colors that live in the chicago area i think yeah. paul mounts lives in the area um, scott johnson who, yeah. who colors more for licensed properties but is still a a, a very good colorist a and painter <laughs> yeah alex yeah. ross is a pretty good colorist he colors well yeah <laughs> does his own coloring sure but we just haven't talked about colors that much right. on on the show, so and I figured it's it would, magic. It would be a, be well, you a can't talk about magic. First, talk you about can't ruin the illusion. You can't put a rainbow in a jar, Chris. You can't teach someone how to. You can't teach someone how to put a, a color. Chris is already thinking this was a bad decision. Yeah. Talking about I don't colors. even know why. I don't even know why we're talking. Have you ever seen Jason Cuck? He blindfolds himself and he gets out just like a palette of colors. He just like puts it all on there. I don't even understand how it works. It doesn't matter. Now's our chance to understand, Tom. Grab a hold of it. Understand. I asked him once. Grab the rainbow, Tom. <laughs> and I broke into song. You, you know, it, it's not. I don't think a lot of people know the the coloring process. I, I can't. just want to keep listening to Tom here. You can't, yeah. <laughs> well, you're you're killing me, Caters. You're okay. killing me. It cracks me up because often when I'm talking to you know people who aren't in the business and uh, oh you do comics, they'll say I thought that was all done on computers now. Mm-hmm. And you kind of you know your head drops you know and then you um, you know kick them in the nuts and walk away. <laughs> So the, key command, the key command is F7 for <laughs> make comic. But I, but so I you're not going to give me any Most colors now, uh, most colors work on the computer. I mean, yeah. I doubt there are too many that do watercolor sketches or marker drawings anymore. Yeah, I probably doubt at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I know there's some pencilers and inkers who'll do like a marker comp and turn that over. Because um, there's one guy doing it right now who's like, oh, fuck. You're <laughs> <laughs> no, on to me. But I mean, you know, at the beginning, you know, start of my career, you'd get a, the colorist would get a, a black and white photocopy, a reduced photocopy of your work, and then paint in watercolors. Sometimes they used markers, but often they used watercolors. And then they'd have to call out the colors. The they'd have to, they'd yeah, have to yeah. code Y two R two for each and every color because that would go to the hand separators who would cut the uh, acetone or whatever. Really, the ruby yeah, sheets. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. You you know what the process was like then? I yeah, I'm vaguely familiar because as a kid it did seem like magic, and uh, I would read about it without understanding it back then. Yeah. And I'm glad that way of doing it is yeah. gone because I think I still wouldn't understand. 
And, and comics were called four color comics because there were four right. plates. There's the black plate and then cyan, CMYK. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cyan, and yellow, blue, magenta, and black. Yellow. Which comics are still four color right. process. But, 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 the, but the colorist would have to call out the percentages from each plate. Damn. The, the three plates, actually, usually not the black. And then, so white, yellow, black. 20%, you know, are. You know, red. Well, and there were there were something 40%. like sixty-four possible colors out of the percentages. Am right. I yeah, because the, there were only and certain combinations you could use. One. I did. Uh, I did. <laughs> well, no. chartreuse slash green. Yeah, yellow, it, it, it's it's purple. Red Malay. As Jason sixty-five Malay. But they don't as do that. The, yeah, well, yeah. No, I was gonna say as the story goes, uh, Marvel was getting more. You know where this is going. I've heard. Yeah. Marvel yeah. was getting uh, more color combinations in the and, 60s, uh, Yeah, yeah and. Neil Adams went to Julie Schwartz. Saul. Who went to uh, uh, Saul Harrison? Saul Somebody Harrison, went to uh, Donfeld and said, "Marvel's getting you know 128 colors, and you only have 64 choices." Yeah. Uh, and so he called up the printer and, you know, "What the hell's this?" And suddenly Neil let DC get twice as many colors for no extra money. That was a really interesting story in my head, and then I started saying it, and I just thought, oh well, Neil tells it so much better and so much more often. <laughs> So, <laughs> not, <laughs> not a lot of <laughs> I've heard that story a lot, and I'm sure it's true. And I find it interesting, but still really abstract to me. Like I don't completely grasp. Understand, understand are. having that limited of a color yeah, palette. Yeah, yeah, because you know the way. And I work in printing, and it's like four color process is four color process. The only, the only thing, it, it, whenever I was coming up, the only limitation was your line screen. Today's coloring process, you're not coloring out, or you're not calling out colors and percentages. Everything's done on the computer and it's done in CMYK is the color palette that you're using but there are literally millions of colors that, that you can choose from it's just how well they're going to reproduce what is your coloring process now understanding that, that your color palette is pretty much unlimited now which is the difference between today's comics and comics from 20, 30, 50 years ago I mean I, I work in layers and as I understand it more and more people are starting to work in layers when I first was talking to colorists maybe seven or eight years ago a friend of uh, Steve's and, and mine, uh, uh, a great colorist named Chad Fiddler, mm-hmm. and showed showed us some things. And he worked in channels, and channels still kind of befuddle me. Um, but layers, I just you know, you set up essentially what your your black line becomes transparent, so it's like a black line of an animation cell, and then you paint the color underneath that, and it shows through. And and they can get into the, what I set the layers at. But and, 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 and talking in layers and channels, this this is all Photoshop talk. Photoshop, that yeah. your primary tool is Photoshop, Photoshop correct? With a little, and, and that's when you're talking about working in CMYK. Um, when I started to, to to get into Painter a bit more, to where I go back and forth between Photoshop and Painter. I found I was working in CMYK, um, which is how you have to usually deliver the finished artwork um, to the company. And um, I was bringing it into Painter, and I was getting these radical color distortions. And radical. Well, I found (laughs) out that... Yeah, surprisingly. It's just te- I'm sorry, it's a technical radical. term, isn't it? It's, a, it's, it's like a tubular term. Right, right. Totally, tubular. totally tubular and radical, yes. <laughs> Actually, no, I, I was just teasing Joanne last night for all the totally she uses, so I, I deserve that. Um, 
But what I found was Painter only works with RGB. Oh. And so ever since then, I just work RGB, and then I, I switch over to CMYK as the very last step, and then there's a certain amount of uh, color tweaking that has to go on because everything becomes a lot less pretty. Yeah, yeah, whenever, whenever you switch, and this is very techy, geeky stuff. But yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you'll yeah. keep us away from too much of the techy stuff. <laughs> whenever you change color modes, it, it, does, it does change you know, on the screen and, and what you're going to do. Someone who knows nothing about uh, drawing inking or coloring and the thing that always fascinates me when I think about someone coloring something is like so you get a you receive a page that is simply black and white how do you even start going like what's the you, you let's say you have like you receive a page and let's let's assume for the sake of simplicity that it's focused on like one panel right. let's say it's like uh, two people like in a restaurant and all you have are black and white lines. Like, where do you even start well, doing that? A lot of times I'll ask, you know, Hillary what he's thinking. <laughs> are, are, you, are you getting a script? Are you getting the script that I, goes along with you know, the pages? It's funny. I, I, uh, I always want the script, but there's sometimes where I have to ask for the script. And um, a lot of times I'm not really sure if this scene is a day or a night with us. Scripts. Sure. I, sometimes I don't know why. Um, I've heard some inkers say that they never look at a script, but it seems like if you're a colorist, to do it without a script, you're going to miss something, you're going to have to redo it. And it's really bright in this book. Yeah, it's like it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be four in the morning, and yet you have the sun setting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, have you found that that different that different writers will pay a lot of attention to colors? I've heard about this that that some writers are very specific about the colors that they want in certain scenes. And there um, there are some books that you know you will see changes from like a very very red warm palette to a very blue cool right. palette, I've and never, that has a very big effect on the story. I. I you know, because like as, as we're talking with Steve and Hillary, who are here, they're both artists, and they usually have something of a concept. Um, uh, although sometimes less of one than another. But like uh, the uh, the Rex Mundy stuff that just mm-hmm. came out, um, there's very little color notes given. I mean, it, they're fun scripts to read because they're they're very colloquial and very much like just chatting. And um, but you do get time. You do get place, you do get material sometimes, like this is a marble floor, a lot of it's taking place in a hotel and mm-hmm. um, so there's not specific like color direction has to make this whole scene shades of red but if he says sunset, you can kind of infer why don't I use this chance to use some red notes throughout the next two pages or something like that once again coming from like someone who doesn't know anything about art, uh, as far as like being a colorist Where's the, sort of the area that you would put your stamp on it that would make it look like your stuff as opposed well, to? Or is I'm not sure I want to. Oh yeah, or is there an area? I mean, unintentionally or intentionally, like even unintentionally, where is the space in sort of coloring that people? Starting to develop their own. Yeah, it's like it's like life. Dave Stewart. I was going. Well, that's who, who I was going to say. It's kind of the guy. I mean, yeah, the, the, we've talked about Dave Stewart, and Hillary and I talk about Dave Stewart all the time. And yeah, he's he's one of guy. one of the few people that whenever you open up a book, right. that it's like, wow, okay, Dave Stewart colored this book, and you flip back, and it's like, yep, yep, it's Dave Stewart. It's one of the few people that you're that is well, almost instantly recognized. And why why is it recognized? It's interesting though, because the way he does it though does not overpower. 
the artist he's working with. It's he he'll use similar palettes at times, but if you just look at the different Dark Horse books he does, however, I mean there must be a couple dozen of them, but he'll use a similar palette for a lot of the Hellboy books. But depending on um, the line art, he'll take a brushier approach, or he'll take a completely flat approach with Mignola, and um, it serves the art. And yet at the same time, you know it's Dave Stewart. Which is a pretty amazing line to mm-hmm. kind of balance on, but he seems like, to do it every single time. Is it, <laughs> so. is it is it palette? Do people have distinctive? He changes his palette when the job calls for it. He's he's just he's incredibly versatile, and sometimes like I won't know if he's doing a slicker style. I won't know it's Dave Stewart, but I'll know I really like the color. And then I and then uh, you look at it and he's just like. Dave Stewart. I'll go. Oh, that was Dave Stewart. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's got a, he's got a really good color sense. So he does. It's not yeah. it's not the same as a, a penciler or, mm-hmm. or an inker. You know, you're not looking at the lines. Though I suppose some colors you might recognize the way they cut the color mm-hmm. and pattern it and stuff. But mostly you're looking at their color choices. You know why? You know they put this color next to that color, next to that color, and that brings out something different than another colors would use a slightly different shade of green or whatever and well, get the same effect. When you're sort of learning the technique of coloring, is it is it like a lot of trial and error in a way? Is it a lot of is what goes into knowing? It's it's a lot of trial and error, and I, I've just I, I started kind of dabbling around with. Is there color. a lot of color theory that you it's go a lot into of, it with? And yeah, then yeah, and I I actually I mean every Saturday I'm painting six hours with oil paint, right. and and I think that's helped a lot. Uh, I I just started doing the digital coloring um, about four years ago, and. I I think my color my understanding of color theory has improved a lot, but I feel like it can improve a lot more. And so I'm I tend to read a lot more books on color theory and painting than comic yeah. books these days. <laughs> so sure, less fun reading. It, less sure. fun. <laughs> well, it brings more to uh, uh, to the table probably. Who are who are some of the colors that you really look up to that are that are working in comics um, today? Well, we mentioned Dave Stewart. Um, there's a, the first guy I looked at, and I really just um, fell in love with um, his work was uh, uh, well, Chad. We both oh, yeah. always love Chad's work, but Chad Fiddler. Uh, Chad Fiddler, and um, but first I didn't know it Chad was Fiddler on the roof. Yes, uh, that oh, yeah. Chad Fiddler. That's very one. And. Um, uh, <laughs> it, it was when I was was doing some uh, some freelance work at Devil's Due, and they had a guy named Sunder Raj who colored a number of their books. And the guy was just uh, Raj 2000. <laughs> oh, nice, thank you. <laughs> and um, I, what is it with you and the Raj 2000 uh, references? Uh, <laughs> There's nothing wrong with a Raj. There's nothing. Yeah, he's right. If it feels good, do it. So, um, and I just, I, I think he went into video games, but he just had this this really sort of painterly approach that Dave Stewart, I, I then noticed, was doing something similar on Conan, and I went, oh, I really want to try this. And uh, God, I'm trying to think names. I mean, there's so many Eisenhower and Haberlin. I mean, well, there, I, I, it's nice that we're there were two of them. I mean, there, there's so, there, yeah, Maury, Maury Hallwell, obviously. Lots there, of good ones. There's, it, it's nice that I can't remember a time in comics where there's been as much attention or, or name recognition with colors. You've got uh, like Dave McKay, Matt Hollingsworth, yeah. Laura Martin. Right. You know, uh, we talked about uh, um, Val Staples' yeah. work on, on right. Brit and, and, and some other stuff. Criminal. Criminal. It's it, it's kind of nice that, that, that 
Uh, proof? Yeah. Is Valstable on? He's doing now proof. Wow, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, it looks like I know more. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, um, I win. <laughs> Scott Chandler on uh, on Hawaiian Deck, I um, think, is... Stephen Griffin. Is it Stephen Griffin? Griffin does yes. the colors. Uh, see? I know more. <laughs> Wait, it was Jesus what's Christ, Chris, do? what the fuck do you know? Artist. I think he's taking over the drawing show. Of Chris. It's Steve, the, Stephen Griffin did is the, the original art and uh, line art and colors, and uh, then when he uh, stopped doing the line art, he continued to do the colors, the, okay. because, and that's why it's still so I always get the two. I really like confused. how it looks now, though, too. Like, the most recent uh, series, I really like the line art with the color. No, I'm sorry. No, it's, it's one of my favorite books, so yeah. I just... But it, it, it's nice that with the expanded palettes, with the with the, the the technology, that you have colors that have different styles that impact right. books. I mean, it's we talked about Maury Hallwell. Mm-hmm. It's Steve McNiven, good artist. Steve McNiven with Maury Hallwell on colors, completely different. It, it helps define the look. Steve Epting and uh, Dermata. Yeah. 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 Do you ever um, when you're coloring something? Is there a balance between Excuse not me, being are you too still speaking as someone who doesn't know anything about art or color? No, I now know. I now know a little bit <laughs> okay. about color. Okay. He's been educated. Uh, I know a lot about art. <laughs> just recently, I read a book. This the episode is actually recorded over two days. <laughs> okay, Tom. I just didn't know because time had passed. Uh, uh, we didn't. Yeah, exactly. You need to keep a you narrative. You were clean shaven when we started. Yeah, exactly. Now I have like a foot long beard. <laughs> what? Uh, do you, are you ever concerned about overpowering someone's stuff with? Yeah, color? I, I, I too much pink. Perhaps, <laughs> or just like you, you do try things every so now and then. One thing I notice with a, sometimes with uh, Ooh, coloring I mean, books a story is there. sometimes people get really like over rendery with colors and like I, I can flares uh, and like everything's shiny yeah. and everything. When, when really the computers first came in, yeah. uh, a lot of people were coloring only because they knew how to use a computer, you know, or knew how to use Photoshop, but they didn't know any color theory. There's still some of those people out there, but there's a little more demand for actual color theory. Wasn't that one of the big knocks on uh, uh, Dark Knight Strikes Back? Was that it was one of the first times that that computer coloring had been used and it was way over the top, way um, oversaturated. It had been used. It, was, uh, there's, well, it had been used for a while, but yeah. I think it was the it was first job that we saw Lynn Varley use. Okay. And it was a, really a it, was, it was, and she it was come from Lynn's a, a first traditional okay. painterly background. Okay. Yeah, I, I knew it was new yeah. in Wonders, but maybe it was yeah, yeah. Lynn Varley's first, first well, attempt. Coming from someone who doesn't know anything about art, uh, I didn't think it looked that great. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's just me. Now, uh, from the, from the writer side, and I don't ask you how how much attention do you spend in in your scripting, uh, not scripting, in in your in your scripts to to color. I mean, are you are you saying, hey, this needs to be you know this color palette, or I'm looking for this field? Do you give instructions to your colorist? Um, very rarely, when I'm writing or penciling, or you know. Pretty much now that I'm writing, penciling, and inking, um, the extent of what I need to specify is just day or night. And if I think something would look cool, mm-hmm. and I've, I've done this with Chad and with Jason, I'll just say, um, here are my thoughts, but I know that you're going to be able to do this far more elaborately than me, but here's what I'm thinking. And sometimes they follow it and sometimes they ignore it completely and say I, I had thought, a better idea. I thought this yeah. would work better, but I can change it. And 
you know, 999 times out of 1,000, they're right. Now, one of the things that, that Hillary, and Hillary and Jason, you guys work together. Jason. <laughs> Actually, like you're beating, beating Jason up. But, but you, you commented whenever we were uh, out talking a couple weeks ago or whatnot that you enjoy the fact that, that you and Jason live in fairly close proximity to each other, that you're able to go over and then choke yeah. him. Like a, well, Stay a bunk just, bed, when it comes badly, uh, just smacks me on the but, back. But, uh, uh, do you, do you, uh, when you live in cardboard boxes, everything's <laughs> close. So you, you, just cut out a, you just cut out a window. Yeah, but, getting a mite close here, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, it, and you, you remarked that it was nice because instead of coming up with a bunch of elaborate directions and emailing back and forth, that you can just go over yeah. and, and kind of, I'm well, sure, yeah. look over his shoulder if, if and bother not, him. If you're, not, if you're not in the same neighborhood, you're essentially emailing or making long phone calls or, you know. And that gets frustrating because the communication is delayed. If you're just sending an email, you might send a bunch of notes, and then you see the callers, and then you send notes in response, and then da da da. But if you're talking it out, a lot of stuff that, you know, I can say, oh, this is what I'm looking for, or this is what I wanted, or this is what I'm thinking about, or, or I can just say, well, what do you think? And we can sort out whether some of those initials ideas work. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not a colorist. I don't really have a good sense of color theory. And I end up being that guy who's the guy who says, uh, I don't know what I want until I don't see it, you know? And then I have to complain about, it. no, this mm-hmm. isn't right. So you're coming from a place with someone who doesn't know anything about color. Uh, so does, does Jason still <laughs> answer the door when he looks through the people and sees oh, you? <laughs> all the lights go off. <laughs> Jason screens all of his calls. So I don't think that's you. I don't Jason think that's is you. In when he wants to be in. No, I, it's not you or me. But but I know. I, I Jason has said he enjoys talking to the colors and, and no, working on stuff. It, I enjoy no, I do, talking about colors. <laughs> Please let my family go. Yeah. <laughs> no, but whatever you want. Well, I remember go. in the old days. I mean, you know, I, uh, you know when when I wasn't, you know, when the colorist didn't uh, live ten minutes away. I, I remember sending a, a story to somebody, and the only note I had for the colorist is I said, make it look like a Technicolor movie. And by that I meant I wanted it to be lush, but kind of, um, you know, a, a sort of a, a palette that, you know, evoked an old era, because I was doing a story that kind of had a 1940s kind of feel. And I don't know if it looked like that when it came out, but the guy just ran with some pretty vivid colors. You know, it was Joe Roses. And uh, and he, there it looked like everything was airbrushed. I don't know what he was using, but huh. there was a lot of kind of airbrushy stuff. That was in the earlier days of computer color. Re- oh, okay. So it was digital. It was un- yeah, yeah. yeah, it was digital. Yeah, because your stuff, uh, the color plays a, a huge role. I mean, in all colored yeah. comic well, art. you were it, around before uh, there was any color, period. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, was the, was the world was the, the world, world black and white? The reason I don't know anything about color theory is because there wasn't color when I was born. It hadn't been invented yet. We were born into a black and white world. There, there was a horror story done in Harvey Comics, uh, Howard Nostrand or Bob Pollinger in the fifties, where like the color is drained out of the story, and then, and then you know, then it goes all black. It's, it's pretty cool. It's called Colorama. Anyway, sorry, where were we? Well, oh yeah, that's right. I'm old. Okay. <laughs> right, the Hillary Barter is old. Yeah. No, but it is, it is nice that, that Hillary can come over that way because it's kind of like a lot of times we'll have conversations where Hillary will kind of say, well, 
if we try this? And then I'll just start doing it. And he'll go, no, 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 I, did, I was just throwing it out there. I was just thinking, really? like, I'm like it'll, take, it'll take me but a minute. Feels like don't do anything. No, but it feels like he's jumping, you know, like I'm barking commands. <laughs> and all of a sudden he's got, he's, he's, he's made that guy red right in front of me. I'm like, no, no, you're going to ruin it. And he's like, he's like I can throw it okay, out yeah. if it doesn't command work. Command Z, command Z. Yeah, well, it's on a layer. I can toss it out. If it doesn't work, right. let's try it. It's Why an not? adjustment yeah. layer, Hillary. Relax. Exactly. That's what I'm doing. So, you know. Make your magic devil box take it back. Actually, there is a lot of ooing and eyeing coming from me when I'm watching Jason work the computer because half you know I I did color a few things and and I hated the process because it was so slow for me working Mm -hmm. with the computer. And Jason can just do this stuff like so fast. He's like looks like he's doing six things at once. You hear crazy kids. Well, when you when you see things through Jason's eyes, there's just like green codes streaming in front of them all the time. Um, I've heard about flatters before. Mm -hmm. Are there still flatters? There are, yeah. You look very sharp today, Chris. Yeah, no, actually, I don't know, um, actually, if, if, you, you saw the Munden's Bar story mm-hmm. that Hillary, that just went up on Comic Mix. Go to ComicMix.com, um, Munden's Bar. I, I have a, uh, <laughs> uh got that. Very good. Very good. Uh, <laughs> but my, uh, my flatter for a lot of work, um, lives up in Wisconsin and she said it, it was the scariest story she's ever seen in the history of comic books. It just creeped her out more than not just anything she had ever flatted but anything she had ever read. Which I think is quite a compliment, really. In Inappropriately way. touched by a comic book. <laughs> Show me on the doll. <laughs> She's lying so in folks, the room in the fetal position, so the folks, book's over there. Go to comicmix.com. <laughs> so you can be creeped out just like Jason's flatter. <laughs> if you want to be molested by a comic book, comicmix.com. It's a roundabout way of saying that I use flatters. Okay. <laughs> what is a flatter? Uh, it's someone who slides an easily intimidating It would be basically someone that just lays in flat blocks of colors that separates pieces in a comic panel so that you can just go in, select each piece, and render on top of that. You do so your modeling on top of the flat. You do it, a lot of times there's like a cut slayer. So uh, the flats would be like Superman's cape is red. Exactly. The, the S and that is yellow. Right, okay. Right. So that kind of thing. And, Though uh, sometimes they just use all gray or all whatever because they're yeah. just separating the shapes, right. you know, so that you can hit your color into them. Right. They, they're I, not choosing the color. I, yeah, I had one flatter who would uh, use intentionally neon colors because a lot of colorists don't want to have their choices affected by what the flatter put in. So if you have these horrible neon colors, you're not going to use them, but it's still separated fine. I mean, but the, you use they them. look... You used them. A couple oh, yeah. of them snuck through. <laughs> They're fine. I think, I think, said he I think, pink, the color I think book. pink came through once. Yeah. <laughs> the Pepto page. It's it's more of a reddish orange now. Well, and and this was something like Hillary has a um, uh, I, I guess a prejudice against the pink, and I challenged that prejudice the other day. 
And I knew who I was getting into. My prejudice won. His <laughs> prejudice won. <laughs> but I'm like, I know, I know, I'm just trying something here. I'm pretty sure what your reaction is going to be. But it was one of those things where you're just kind of watching and see if the jaw drops. And yeah, the jaw kind of went... No. 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 So, no, that's no. Not no. So, but, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Exactly. Um, want to switch gears and, and talk about another um, process of, uh, of making comic books that I think gets misunderstood by a lot of people whenever you hear the words. Uh, I want to see what Tom, I think it's especially misunderstood by Tom. I don't. Because he doesn't know anything about, about art or coloring. You're kind of like <laughs> unfrozen caveman Actually, lawyer. Tom doesn't know anything about process so yeah. what is this um we hear about we hear about photo referencing a lot in in comic books crutches yeah hey swipes man research swipes. research well there's a difference between a swipe and a photo reference having and recently been thought out of ice i don't understand what a photo is what do you mean or this color you've been speaking of. but one of the things that that Steve is doing up in Chicago this weekend, you are doing uh, a shoot for for photo reference material. I was a zombie. This is, were you a zombie? This is like podcast for dummies tonight. <laughs> <laughs> for someone who doesn't understand, I don't understand podcasts. Can you explain the process to me? <laughs> are there actual pods involved? What's this casting? We're I doing? see this a lot that that people you know on the internets when people when people hear photo referencing their first their first reaction is someone has opened up a magazine and traced this or they found this picture in another another comic and they are referencing this from you know a copyrighted material but that's not always the case in photo referencing there are a lot of artists that that will take photos of scenes to use them as quote unquote reference for what they're drawing in panels now you rely not not heavily, but you use you use a lot of reference material in in the work that that you do. Can I explain why you do that and what the process of photo referencing is? Explain yourself. Okay. Defend. You have thirty seconds. <laughs> and, 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 and words that Tom will understand. <laughs> and what the difference between that and swiping Keep it is? Well, keep it simple. Um. I think first of all, what? There's no one way. There's no one way to Not use that simple. There's no one way to use photo reference. Okay. Um, you could turn them upside down. You could flip them over. <laughs> I got nothing. Um, no, but I mean, it can be anything from you pencil everything out of your head and you're looking at it to shore up uh, the way that a hand is drawn or, or facial structure or folds in a shirt or whatever. You can, it can go from that to the guy that shoots reference, looks at the reference and draws it, eyeballing it to the guy that's light boxing it and then cartooning on top of it, um, to the guy that's just doing a full on light box I mean, and there can be mixtures and combinations of that or you can just use it to swipe a car or an airplane or stuff like that. I'm always um, cartooning on top of it. My girlfriend tells me to stop, but I, <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> and then you say, once I get started, it's just best to let me finish. Cartooning! Um, but I, is, that <laughs> is that what you're calling it now? <laughs> but, I mean, is that a pretty accurate assessment of all the, the different ways that it can be can be done? It's it's yeah, not no, people can, it's I mean, not just one way. Right. Right. I mean, you can look out your window and do photo referencing. What right? is you, a car 
that looks like. You yeah, know, I, I've okay. done that. I'm, I'm drawing a street scene, and I go, oh, I don't want to draw the same car six times in a row. And I'll, oh, there's an SUV, and I'll, I get the general shape, and then I'll just make it, the rest of it up. Or, yeah, referencing, um, I used to have, when I was married, I, I'd have my wife come in and, okay, stand this way and, and do this or hold this. She always fell she for that one. She won't come over <laughs> anymore? No. Hold this. <laughs> hold this. She got married today, so there you go. Really? Yes. Wow. Did you um, photo reference that? No, I, I hightailed it up to Chicago. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I got your to reference take, right here, pal. To take pictures of a 24-year-old girl in tights. So you're free, I think I got the better end of the deal. You're free and clear now. Is what you're yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, no, yeah. hey, can we set up an, uh, an account, Steve, at, at Round Comics? <laughs> nice. Steve. Subject line uh, dating. Well, when you, when you start to to build up your photo reference um, library for for an issue, you're <laughs> and he likes dogs. Steve's a not like that. Guy. Steve's a good looking guy. I mean, he is. Stop. Okay, so, well, so that's not weird. So. Come on. <laughs> what? Well, stop touching my leg, Tom. <laughs> so you got so, very so you got you got you got a new yeah. a new Athena Voltaire story coming out, and you need to get your your photo reference library together what is what what's your process are you doing um, thumbnails of each page and say okay I need to shoot these specific scenes so I can get them you know anatomically correct blah 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 well previously I just kind of cobbled stuff together from you know shooting um, shooting my ex-wife no uh, shooting people. friends and, and just doing like not much in the way of lighting and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that but a mutual friend of Jason and mine uh, Gary Carbon who's a terrific painter um, really goes like all out on his photo reference and I really admired uh, Al Williamson's 1960s Secret Agent X9 strip um, well not just 60s he did it from 67 to, to 80 and um, Williamson really photo reference just photo reference the hell out of that thing and I mean when he photo referenced it he was still drawing it was still looked like Williamson people there was still a lot of interpretation of what he was doing so mm-hmm. I wanted to try to to move more into that area of photo referencing kind of try to pick up Gary's method see how much of it works for me and you know just move on like that so um, I didn't quite lay out every scene um, just because it was on short notice we didn't have a lot of people to stand in like a different person for every I've been character. a ninja. I've been a ninja. Yeah, I've t- been involved. Well, been you, you guys stood, uh, stood in on a, on a job that yeah. ended up getting canceled because of, you know, my, me parting ways with Paul Daly. Uh, um, but I was a great ninja, so you guys you were, were an awesome You were a show. kick-ass ninja. Yeah. Um, not as good as Mike's dog, who coincidentally is, is named, named ninja. ninja. He's got an advantage, yeah. though. Um, but... Uh, it was still um, letting Gary set up light si- light sources and stuff like that, which was more elaborate than, than the way I've done it before. Um, it's going to be a fun learning process. I don't know if I I may try to go even more that direction. I may back off of it. It, it depends on how much fun it is. I was going to ask, do you, in using f- that sort of method of photo reference, do you find yourself drawn towards, like, backing off of it or going more into it or do you see do you become when you when you mentioned I can imagine trying to draw a hand can be difficult 
like holding something because that's not something necessarily that in the natural process of learning how to tell a story. <laughs> well, look, yeah, well, Hillary knows it from the... Like, like, you know, like, of the you apes at the, the beginning of 2001. You can learn the fundamentals of telling a sequential story, but that doesn't necessarily mean you know how to draw a hand like right. holding a book. After you've seen enough hands holding books, do you become more comfortable with that, and then you sort of move on to something else, or do you become more comfortable with being looser with that, or... I, I, I'm just curious about how... Do you become dependent on it? Do you become freer from it once you sort of get used to doing it again and again? Well, some, some guys are going to say that it's that it's crutches. Other guys are going to... Um, Neil Adams has a great bit where he says one of the greatest learning tools that you can... You can do is to trace photographs. Yeah. So I, I think it's probably one of those things, just like whatever vision you have in your head of what you want something to look like. Um, what's going to work for Jason or for Hillary or for me or um, you know for for Mike Norton or, or Chris Burnham or whatever? It's everybody's results are going to are going to be different because of how your brain is processing stuff. Um, well, what, what's the final product? I mean, if, if you want, for certain more illustrative styles, you, the closer you get to the realistic end of the spectrum of drawing, the more you're going to use photo reference, the more it makes sense to use it. It doesn't mean that the most cartooniest of artists don't ever use it, but they're going to look at it and then just internalize it and then draw it their own way. I was going right, to ask you about the American Splendor story and photos. Yeah, I did. I did. I actually, yeah, I was set in, the story was set in Chicago, and I was riding around the bike. Uh, it was called Chicago Visit. Harvey comes yeah. to Chicago. Harvey uh, Pico. And so I, I did photo reference. I went to his friend's house. They, they were featured in the story. I visited various businesses that they went to. And then I sort of have to pose these characters that weren't present anymore in those environments. It was kind of, you know, it was fun. But that's not what I typically do, so it was a little difficult. You know, I, yeah. Well, I suppose there are situations where you, you have to. If you have a story set in a certain city, you yeah. have to. It has to Well, somewhat you don't have to. It's sort of like an old TV yeah. show that's set in France, and every every show in the 60s was filmed on a back lot in Hollywood, and so yeah. there's the fake French street. And there's well, the I French almost think now, though, street. it depends. Like a, a book like Local that mm-hmm. Brian Wood and Ryan Kelly did, their big one of their big things with that book was that he wanted to make all the locations that they went to look like Very that accurate, place. So yeah. you can't you can't sort of make shit up. He has right. to have photo. Re- he has well to, to do it. Yeah. to do it to, to follow to, through with their yeah, premise. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, he has to. I think know I, what the city. Looks I think like. I asked him that in uh, at Wizard. It was a very very fanboy question. Oh, do you know how well, great it was that it you was, did that? It was, it was, no, it was the Wicker Park episode that had just come out for local, and it was, I think that point in the story was supposed to be set Six in... Six Well, it was, it was supposed to be set in Wicker Park in, like, 1992 or something hmm. like that. Uh, or not, not not 92, wait, 98, so whatever. So Starbucks was well, there. Well, well, yeah, it was, like, ten years ago. And, and I asked him if, if he had gotten reference from Wicker Park... Ten years ago. Now, Wicker Park, for anyone that doesn't know Chicago, is a neighborhood that has changed dramatically. There's a lot of fucking stroller stores there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this this used this used to be a fairly 
graffiti neighborhood that was that kind of turned into a, a, a the artist community in Chicago, now it's and, and now, it, now it's MCD very real world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, <laughs> so the neighborhood has changed dramatically over the last ten or fifteen years. It's like and changed I, three times. Yeah, like yeah. And and I asked him if he had gotten reference from when the year that that she was actually supposed to be living in Wicker Park, and and I think the answer was something along the lines of, well, no, not really, but I don't think it's changed that much. And I was like, well, no, it has. Well, <laughs> so that issue. <laughs> not, well, not just not just talking about reference in, in that regard, but you look at someone like Bern Hogarth, who famously didn't use reference. His figure work is great because he knew it so well. But if you see a Bern Hogarth car or gun, yeah, but Bern Hogarth's figures aren't real figures. No, well, exactly. But they're stylized figures. I mean, he he learned how to draw the figure his way. But I, th- I, th- I but I think it applies well on his cars. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, on his figures. But right. his cars when he's trying to do those figures set in a contemporary situation and he's got these fucking rocket cars with, you know... But really, it's the same thing. And we accept it with the figures where you go, oh, that's his style of drawing a figure. But you don't expect it when you see a car or a building or, you know, when he just... People are more forgiving with... Artistic licensing and figures. figures, I think, because they're used to seeing artistic. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think so much of the superhero cliches have come out of Hogarth. I mean, you look at, like, I mean, Hogarth in, invented a lot of um, the way the serratus muscle is abbreviated by cartoonists ever since then and things. And, and you Those have, are the little, the little, like, Z yeah, that runs down the rib cage. Right. And, and you look at how Hogarth did those That's things. That's not Cap's chainmail? They, they, they been used ever since, but I've always looked at his figures as if, and, and you do see this in a lot of superhero figures to this day, where there's this feeling that they're being electrocuted, like you know, I always say, I, I think there'd be a puddle of urine under a Bern Hogarth figure because it's being, well, you know, was, uh, everything is stressed and Right, tensed. right, every muscle is delineated I wish I knew who did it, but someone did a parody of, of the Hogarth action figure the dynamic, you know, target Dynamic and it was like Tarzan it. having breakfast. So he was dramatically <laughs> eating breakfast, you know, splashing the, the milk into the cereal bowl and thrusting the spoon into his mouth or whatever he was doing. And it was, you know, it was absurd. But but um, but anyway, but, uh, of course it's absurd. Tarzan doesn't eat cereal. <laughs> yeah, that's just silly. Got What's wrong with you? He eats jungleos. What are you talking about? Got nudie here, my friend. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, actually, yeah. But talking about reference. the muscles and the popping and well, popping, yeah, but flexing. it's a stylization. And when you recognize uh, the, uh, the you know the stylization on something like a car, and you go, "Gee, that doesn't look like a car today." Yeah. I, I mean, I, I find it very difficult to draw modern cars because they don't tend to appeal to my eye. The 1940s, 30s, and 50s have much more sort of artistic individual designs character they, they a better line to the hand they're, well yeah. there's a different line they're, they're, they're more intricate now in many ways because they can do so much more with computer modeling but they're not as easy to draw they don't they just don't kind of fly you know off the hand do they not have as simple of a visual style in a way like in some ways I think car. those cars were more like direct fantasy projections onto onto the you know design like page like if you saw a silhouette of an old car well they literally had rockets and yeah. you know Fins, yeah. you know, they, they, and and am I talking too loudly? No, no, no. <laughs> they, I'm actually turning. Tom. So they had all. They had. Uh, <laughs> so, as someone who doesn't know anything about cars, 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> color cars? They come in many colors. Well, because they weren't around when we were frozen. Yeah, I'm scared by these gasoline horses. These horseless carriages. These gasoline horses. What's a carriage? <laughs> the wheel? Uh, <laughs> I do not understand what this means. Uh, anyway, we were talking Fins. about... Fins. I, I think photo-referencing, we somehow... Yeah. No, that's good, well, man. No, but, but it's just, yeah, style versus realism. Where, you know, and every artist is stylized. You were saying, how do you, rec- you know, where do you put your imprint into the colors? You were asking Jason about that earlier. Well, you do, in, in a way, your color choices, um, you know, you can be trained and all that, but over the, if you're, maybe you wouldn't tell by every panel or every, every page, but eventually the, the, the innate style, your sort of signature, your personality, like uh, will come out, and it comes out in your drawing. It comes out in your writing. It comes out in your color. This, you know, these are the, these colors appeal to you, right. and so you, you'll use them more often. You'll find combinations to use them, and probably rationalize to yourself afterwards why they appeal to you. But yeah. <laughs> it's like, you read books to learn why. Laying on the couch with your therapist, you know, she will explain to you why pink is so important to you. I don't know. Why do you keep trying to use pink in this fucking story? It doesn't. Because well, it takes place on Mars, the red planet. Red, not the pink planet. Um, Why are those giant phallic mushrooms pink, Jason? Well, I, but I, I wanted to go back to, to a photo reference thing real quickly. Because um, I know that you and I, I'm pointing at Hillary, but I, I know that we kind of fall on, on different ends of the spectrum. You're pointing to Santa Claus, he's silently but, sitting behind <laughs> And he's wearing pink he's because somebody, like somebody, pink somebody, somebody, somebody bleached out his suit. I know what you're about to say. No. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, there, there's also photo reference abuse. Now, I, I'm thinking that your line for where it's abusive is probably at a different place than, than mine. But I, there are those guys that, and Jason and I have talked about this, that can't actually draw that think... I can do what Tim Bradstreet does, but because they don't know what they're drawing, they can't compensate for what's wrong with the photo, okay. or they can't. Distortion. Maybe they can do a good front view, but when they turn the figure or cock a head back or something like that, um, they don't understand what they're drawing with the nose, and that's you know the common misconception is anyone can trace a photo, but it's if you're looking at a photo or if you're lightboxing it or whatever, the goal is to refer to it. Reference mm-hmm. rather than and, and interpret rather than just um, if you're just going to try to reproduce what's in the photo, you might use as well, the photo. Well, just posterize it. What you just made me think of is in animation, they used to use, well, they still do oh, rotos- rotoscoping, rotos- right? Rotos- and, and in films that combine actual drawn animation, like a classic thing like um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, the dwarves were all animated. That mm-hmm. is, artists drew them, they designed the characters, and they animated them freehand. And then they were those characters would interact with characters that were traced right. from filmed characters. They were traced right down onto the cells. Yeah, like Snow White. Was, Snow White yeah. and the Prince Charming, or whoever these. And they they move differently. <laughs> the, the, the rotoscope characters are, feel stiffly, even though they move like real people. There's more life. And what we're talking about here is a level of stylization. Those photos, and typically in right, rotoscoping, right, right. or when they're done badly, like in a movie, you know, Ralph Bakshi's uh, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, yeah. or something, where that's it right, that's right, I thought you were out going. of stylization. You know, you get this sort of what looks like a you know a piece of film, you know, in silhouette. And it looks like bad drawing. 
because it somehow isn't reimagined, it isn't integrated into the drawing process. Well, and that's one of the dangers with, you know, whenever someone is just trying to interpret, not even interpret, but light box or trace what is in the photo, because, first of all, whoever you're going to shoot for the reference, probably their concept of acting is just holding a pose Posing, but yeah. when you know when you're watching a movie when someone is doing a a, a laugh um, you're seeing their he- them throw their head back. You're getting the audio. You're getting the movement. If you were to just freeze that person in one place, the chances are the pose would not be exaggerated enough to convey it as a comic. So you either have to tell your 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 model to overact, or you have to look at the photo and you you have to push it, mm-hmm. or you have to do both, um, because otherwise you're going to end up with a very sterile picture. Well, I think. To me, the, when I hear photo referencing as someone who doesn't know anything about photos or referencing, or art, or art, or, or, or color, or anything or after the caveman uh, the era, thing that concern, the thing the that wheel. concerns me the most about it is <laughs> there are times I think uh, it's interesting about um, Bradstreet because there's times where this happens with him that sort of bothers me. It happens with other guys. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Greg Land, mm-hmm. especially where I see certain uh, f- heavily photo reference stuff that can. Textually within the story or where it is, it looks nice, especially with Bradstreet, but I don't think it fits or it's like so out of context of the story that it's in. Well, Land, I think, is really bad with the fact that in stories, people will scream something, will be yelling, but their mouths will be closed, or their mouths will look like they're yelling, but they're asking, like, pass me the salt, but it looks like they are screaming it, and it doesn't... Well, they are screaming. The they strength. really want the well, salt. Well, there's a sculpt issue with Bradstreet where um, this food the woman, is terrible. The woman on the pass me the salt. The woman on the cover is holding like nunchucks, which doesn't have anything to do with the story. You know, it's like this way, and it looks really nice. And I don't, I don't mm-hmm. doubt his ability to put it interject. Hey, man, own. Greg Land was drawing the shit out of stuff when he was doing no, cross I mean, and stuff. I mean, yeah. he is a he is a my only concern, my only concern yeah. is that. There's a context level at times that I think when people get too into it, sure. all of a sudden you're a step away from mm-hmm. the story. And then when you really look at it and you look at all the pieces, there's a problem because you have this picture that kind kind of fits, but not really. That, that, that's also a connection between the writing, you know, yeah. the script, and the art. And yeah. you never know how that happens because... Yeah. You know, a, if, if an artist gets a script, there's no excuse. But if they get a plot and yeah. they draw it, and then the writer puts, them, puts yeah. that scream into the mouth of someone who's just yawning or whatever, yeah. uh, that's not. Well, the yeah, I mean, fault. that but might yeah. be unfair of me to say that. No, no, no but, but like you never know uh, uh, that part of it. Or yeah. if the editorial direction for the cover description is putting up g- give me, give me a woman and, and make her look badass. And so Tim thought, well, nunchucks, nunchucks. Numb nut chucks. Numb nut chucks. If a woodchuck could chuck wood, um, look badass. And because like the concern is from someone from a fan point of view is you look I think at you it. get numb nuts from the nunchucks. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't swing them right, <laughs> you're nuts or your chucks. Just from a fan point of view, when you're looking at the final product and you look at that, you look at it and go, Is she going to fight somebody pic- with that? Or no, you look at it and go, He had a picture of someone with nunchucks. 
and he did that yeah. because you're just looking at it from the end point in comparison to what you have or you're looking at Greg Lenz drawing in comparison you're, you're just looking at that right. final product I, I and can see where you're going with that you're saying is like this doesn't fit because you're only seeing the end. You're only seeing that, and of course, right. it could be anybody's fault at any point. Well, I mean, that, that's, there, that's a lot of what we're talking about today. That's, is that, that's I mean, why photo referencing gets that bad. Oh it's yeah, easy yeah. blame. Because it's easy for me to say, well, Brad Street had a picture with someone with nunchucks, and that's what he did. Because that's the easiest in my mind to to tie together why I'm confused about why that happens. And, well, like with Greg Land. I think editors are correct. Well, (laughs) with Greg Greg Land, I I still don't understand. Tom's currently looking for a job at Comic. (laughs) Well, I don't understand what happened to Greg Land um, from a fan perspective. Yeah. Because... When he was doing Sojourn, um, I, I, well, I almost think he was disproportionately praised, and I think now he's just disproportionately demonized. Exactly, because um, stuff still he, sells, man. He, oh yeah, but I don't think he was ever. Um, you know, for for a while, he his star was ju- big switch his star was, was huge um, when he was doing Sojourn, and I don't think that he's gotten really any worse from that. But the way the fans react to him, um, I, I, I just, think there might just be a taste change well, for I'm, the loudest people. That could be. That could be. And and I've been amazed at some of the things people have pulled from, like you know, movie captures and and magazines, and did like comparisons between and where he's taking his photo reference from, but it seems to me that's an awful lot of work to like put together these montages of look, yeah. he took this from yeah. this, and he took Maybe from that's that. just artistically what he's what he's shooting for. Well now. and I also think that, you know, in this day and age where people can trace your sources that way, like, you know, Alex Raymond, the, the great Alex Raymond, he swiped from great illustrators like John Legata. Like you can find what well, he took this this portrait of Dale and Flash, and this is from this Legata illustration side by side. But in 1950, people didn't have the internet and they weren't tracking it down. And oh, yeah, now, now. They, oh, so shoot a, your own reference. Yeah, it what comes about, out on Wednesday, about, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that's yeah. 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 Right, yeah. Shoot your own reference. What about the Spanish artist or whatever that was covered in Time magazine that commented when Raymond used him as oh, a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as yeah, a bad guy? Because that's yeah. in the, in the right. Tom Roberts, um, right. Alex Raymond, His Life and Art. Right. Nearly sold out by it now. Great book. And don't put like Bring me, Tom. And don't put like you, you know religious country western singers on in the Doctor Strange comic. Uh, <laughs> not good. Be in trouble. Well, it's, you know, and, and you make I love a, Jackson guys too. <laughs> you make an interesting point about the internet. It's like you know awesome. something comes out on Wednesday. By Wednesday night or Thursday morning, people are posting swipes on the internet. It's, yeah. You know the the whole David Mack thing it's, it's that that happened earlier this year. It was a, it was a piling on of oh this. This is from this, and this is from this, and, and this I is can't, from this. You know, as much as I, I like David Mack, I, I want to defend him, but I really couldn't. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was, it's like, yeah, this looks bad. Well, and the guy can obviously paint and draw really well and tell well, a great story. Yeah, and, 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 and was, he, was, he, was he was a photo reference or other artists? It was both. Their swipes, both from magazine covers. There, I mean, there are people who, I mean, you know, there are a lot of people work in the style of, you know, they have an influence that's so. Yeah, this is really it. hard. But there are people like, no, well, I, mer- yeah. I remember when. Keith Giffen yeah, was uh, was uh, doing Munoz. You know? Oh yeah, and sure, sure, was, yeah, yeah. You know, and eventually he just 
turned around and, did, and just left the style. Yeah. He just got he got such like bad press for it. Um, well, and I don't know if Giffen was like tracing off panels in that. He case. was absolutely in love with the guy's work. Back yeah, he was. Well, I, I discovered that guy through Giffen though, yeah. so I credit Giffen for that. And and you know, I was a dumb teenager, and yet he led me in that direction. So I'm I'm cool with that. But I don't know if he was tracing off panels. On the other hand, someone like Wally Wood traced off other artists' panels. In fact, I, I think swiped he would even like paste down an yeah. L. Williamson car and draw around it. Swiped, swiped Prince Valiant in his, for his samples audition page. <laughs> Replace yeah. Foster for <laughs> Prince Valiant. So well, I, think that's, uh, I think that's like the. So you're not saying this, this is a new innovation? But no, no it's just so people can catch it. Yeah. yeah, it's like the weird moral relativism of like, yeah. uh, you think everyone wants to think that everything old was like this pure, like, and they're all these pure artists that. Wally Wood never did wrong. From wood and they're all. Yeah, but Wally well, Wood would turn it into his own stuff. He, right. he never, oh, yeah. absolutely. He never looked like the reference. Well, no, and, I mean, you know, people. And, and, you know, it wasn't like a direct. He didn't steal the style. He, Williamson didn't well, recognize at first. Like, he had to look at the panel and go, wait, this looks from... Wait a minute. <laughs> people, people, will, people will talk about, um, you know, like... It wasn't like he stole stills. his car. He just stole the image of a car he had drawn. <laughs> but people will talk about using... I don't think they can put you in jail for that. I think people, there's that one bender. So you, you're going to you're you're get Hillary pissed I'm off sorry. about this. Are you talking about Wally Wood? <laughs> okay, Steve. No, there, the there, was, that, there was that, uh, you know, people will talk about using movie stills or whatever. Um... Al Williamson and Archie Goodwin did a Secret Agent X-9 sequence that took place. It was a riff on The Prisoner of Zenda. Al did the sword fight um, scene that was uh, kind of the climax of that strip um, using photos from The Prisoner of Zenda. I mean, is that is that a swipe? Is is that plagiarism? Uh, is that an homage? I think it's a switch in fandom where people nowadays are way more concerned with the process. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. That's mm-hmm. a good point. Back, you know, back in the day, uh, people it was it was all about the final product. If you got a final right. product that looked good, that was it. Nowadays, everyone wants to know. How how did you? Who edited this? Who wrote? How did you write this? Is how that a bad thing? Well, should, no, should we delete no. this episode? I'm, oh, I'm a God. process junkie, so <laughs> yeah. well, I'm, you, know, I'm, you can't let it get you too hung up. I think sometimes yeah. on um, the. I think we look back on stuff and we want to assign high art, right? Values to things that people who worked on it didn't assign that. Like um, when Eric Larson had that thing about Vince Coletta, about Vince right. Coletta's inking, where it was like, uh, everyone rags on Vince Coletta. But you know what? His job wasn't to create these inking masterpieces. His job was to, like, ink something in two days. And that was his job to do, and that was what he did. And he wasn't thinking, I'm going to make, I'm going to ink this so that everyone throughout history can look at this and if you job And if you needed a hooker, Vince Coletta was yeah, the guy that you wanted to call. That. <laughs> but it, it, well. you assign values to stuff after it right. that you want things to live up to. Hillary was going to correct me on the hooker thing. Thing. No, not true. <laughs> no, because no, Hillary will hook you up. 
Hillary's parsing words here. We're not too far from Motel Row on Lincoln Avenue, and you don't need me to hook you up. No, I was just going to say, there were other inkers at the time. Yeah. Joe Sinnott also worked at Marvel and yeah. H. Kirby in that era, and no one accused him of erasing the backgrounds that Kirby drew. So, yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, uh, you know, I don't. I wouldn't go out of my way to pick on Vince. I mean, the late Vince Coletta. But he seems to get... He, well, he oh, yeah, no, he, yeah. He, oh, yeah. He, he, he's, he's a favorite punching bag. Uh, I, 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 well, you you're you're an inker. What's your what's your take on Vince Coletta? Well, I, he was not my. I mean, I read comics back then in the '60s, and he wasn't my favorite inker. Um, but I remember thinking I liked him on Tales of Asgard, but not on the the lead feature in Thor. Because in Tales of Asgard, his scratchy kind of pen style that he would use kind of added that old timey feel to these sort of tales. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas Thor was more of an action strip, and the you know. Uh, bigger giant Kirby you know splash page and stuff and I would have rather had seen it for someone else you know uh, th- there were a number of inkers that would ink him better than Vince Coletta Vince Coletta just softened a guy I mean we're, Vince Coletta inked other people but really Kirby was the guy he hurt because Kirby was dynamic mm-hmm. and Coletta's inks were not they were scratchy they were nobody gripes about Coletta on Don Heck <laughs> hey, Don Heck is a great ink. No, yeah. Don but, Heck's own inking is very, but very nobody, bold, but, and I mean the guys would. Oh, but no, nobody's griping. The two people that you'll hear yeah. people bitch about Coletta on are uh, Kirby and Neil Adams. Otherwise, they're not bitching about him on, you know, George Tusca or or Don okay. Heck or any of those guys. Well, I I don't think that his line hurt the other guys quite as much. Inking is. Uh, I mean, inking is a fascinating process because just the fact that it exists, that artists team up that way. Right. You know, someone draws something and someone else is like, Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, right. I mean, it's nothing new that artists work together. They have, you know, studios and uh, there, were, there were reams of people that would work on classical paintings, you know, hundreds of years ago. But it's a little different now. These are like two independent artists who get together and hopefully make something that works. And I think it's seldom really is a really integrated process. It takes a while to, like, I know the, um, I'm often inking something. I just ink a short story by this guy and a short story by that guy. You never quite get a handle on it. You know, I asked, uh, talked to Andy Parks about this last last year, I think, and, and asked him, you know, what, what's the difference between inking Tony Moore and inking Phil? Yeah. And he goes, you know, I know Phil's line right. so well. It's, those guys have been you know, almost synonymous with each other for so long that it's really almost second nature. I think for him to to ink Phil Hester mm-hmm. and and so I, I think he I think he enjoys inking other people, but but there's just something about how he and Phil kind of share uh, share anyone, an aesthetic uh, with that one. Is there ever anyone well, that you ever got that? Oh that you ever well, there, there's there's plenty of people that I really love to ink, but it's it, it's always a process of say if you're doing a mini series by the fourth issue you feel like oh I want to start over because now I'm starting to get a feel for this guy no this guy's it's just it's a feel you know yeah I mean very little of it is intellectual I mean you make a big choice early on if you're going to say 
oh, I'm going to do more pen work than brush work, or I'm going to push it in that direction. But otherwise, it's the process. It's doing it every day, and you just get a feel for it. And after a while, you go, hey, it's it, it's happening, you know, in spite of me. I'm, it, I'm getting, it, It's looking better. I'm getting a feel for it. But, you know, since we've also talked about coloring, the, the real tragedy about, you can probably pinpoint better, Hillary, when this actually happened, but the tragedy with, with inking now is the inker has largely been marginalized into I, I know the the Kevin Smith movie um, oh the the tracer the, yeah, that, yeah. That, that stereotype is there but um, in some ways their pencilers are not leaving as much room for interpretation and I, I think they're shortchanging the whole concept of, you know, of the collaboration really when they that. when they specify every line weight it just sucks the life out of out, out of what an anchor can bring. It's interesting to look at Mike Norton's backups. Did you see, lo- did you see the... Oh, the Jerry Ordway ink stuff? Well, the Jerry, Jerry Ordway and then the Carl Kessel and then... Who, he had you had brought some pages around. He had some Garcia Lopez pencils oh, that were Carl loose because I guess uh, Garcia Lopez. Well, no, we were no, talking, about, talking inking. about inking. We were talking about how Mike just threw a gesture and walked away. Yeah. He's gonna walk over to Walgreens and get a forty. Well, I think. it's funny to look at it because you look at um, uh, Norton stuff with Ordway and then with Kessel, and it looks very different. But it's Mike Norton's storytelling style but you can tell that he didn't give it. Ordway and Kessel have their thing that they're doing over Mike's storytelling and Mike's pencils and it's not too oppressive where I mean when Ordway inks something it looks like yeah. Jerry Ordway you know, well, that's why you get Ordway he looks like if, looks like Ordway if Norton and Ordway are collaborating is it Nortway? <laughs> Nortway yes I should have waited until you were taking Norsel. a drink or Norsel Norsel <laughs> Hillary, was, 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 was there ever um, ever a, a pencil? <laughs> with Kirby and Coletta, it's Coletta, but with a K. Yeah. Oh. Coletta. Was there was there ever a, a penciler that you really wanted to ink over and never got the chance to? Uh oh, gee, I, I mean, I, I can't say that there's one penciler that I never had a chance to ink, uh, but I'm sure there were twenty that I would have that would have been fun. What was the biggest biggest thrill that that you had? A, maybe like a just a, a, a one time chance to to well, ink a guy. It, it, well, I yeah, I I hmm. I don't know. I mean, I've inked. Uh, I, I, the longest I was ever on, worked with one artist was inking John Bogdanov on Power Pack. And I loved his drawing, and it, that was a blast. And every page, I mean, the guy could draw just beautiful stuff. And he was a guy who would actually photo reference a lot of stuff, but made, turned everything into a beautiful drawing. Uh, his characters had so much life. He was, in many ways, very cartoony. I read those. At that time. I read those. You did? When I was a wee, a wee lad. That was a fun comic. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, uh, Franklin Richards. Uh, the, the the son of Reed and, and Sue, who, who was in that comic as a character at the time, uh, John's drawings were based on his own son, hmm. who was that age at the same time, and they were these, like, it would be like Franklin was sleeping on a couch, and they, and you could see the love that, that John began had drawn his own son in that page, and he wanted to get every little hair perfectly, uh, and then you would destroy it. Yeah, and then I <laughs> would destroy the love. Ink. <laughs> <laughs> but no, John was one of those guys where there it, there really wasn't anything for me to do but not screw it up. I mean, the drawing, I wanted to, you know, and it dep- every penciler has different strengths, different weaknesses, and if someone's weaknesses 
are something that you as an inker have a strength in, you know, you you want to compensate. You want to bring out or add something that isn't there, that, that's needed. Um, but I know that when I was first inking and people would point to something of mine and say, man, you really changed this. And I go, no, I just inked it. I didn't understand that I was changing it. I was just seeing the drawing and inking it. I mean, I didn't really, it wasn't like, you know, I, I didn't erase the pencil and go, oh, this figure's wrong. I was just sitting there. No, was that, that was because the line weight wasn't indicated as tightly as it might be today. It was more like a Buscema looser style of penciling, so you had to determine the line weight. Is that why that happened? Or? I'm not sure. Well, I don't want to get rude. Uh, no, it's probably just just my own way of inking. Yeah, it adds. You can't help but add something to it. I mean, I, I, I know when I get like you know after the sort of image style started, uh, you know, with the you know Jim Lee and, and uh, Scott Williams kind of thing was going on. I get people that were penciling in that style, and it was it was really tracing because I didn't know how to ink it. I, if I did my own style, anything close to my own style on top of that, I would just ruin it. So I had to just sort of try to ink all the little lines that were indicated instead of having a black shadow. Say there'd be a bunch of parallel lines or some cross etching, and I would just put them in there. I didn't know why they were there. I didn't, I didn't understand why they were there. I didn't. I thought, oh, you could have just put black here, and it wouldn't be fine. But but I just inked them in because of that. Just, just do what you're told. But I didn't get a lot of that kind of work because it clearly wasn't something I enjoyed, and they weren't looking. You know, I wasn't the the inker that the penciler was looking for. How, I mean, you inked Liefeld for a while though, right? Like, yeah, really? I remember he, I mean, mostly he hated what I did because I didn't... <laughs> no, no, he did, he had very specific idea mm-hmm. of the kind of inking he wanted and you know what his style looks like and that's not how I ink. But I remember at one... I, there was one page I drew. We were talking while I was looking through pages and I had... A guy was coming around a corner and I just put a really strong shadow cut across him where the upper... Uh, you know, from like the mid-torso up was all in shadow and you know, side light maybe left on the on the face and everything. And he said, "Oh, but that's cool. Like that change that I made, he liked. But where I spotted black in other places, he didn't like it. He really liked the open line and the fine line approach. And you know, he's been very successful with it. I mean, he knew what he was doing. But I just, you know, that's when I, I think there's a certain range of style as an artist, as a collaborator. You can you can meet sort of halfway." But you get too far apart in terms of your styles, and you're you're either tracing, you know, or you're just you just you can't you can't ink it. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Well, I, I get someone that draws closer to what right. that guy does. Yeah, I I, I picture you as, as being someone who has a lot of respect for economy of lines. Even though I fuck you, Chris. Not not that not that wa- not it. not Tom that. Tom said that speaking as someone who knows nothing, <laughs> nothing about, about economy, economy of line. line. Yeah. Not not that. <laughs> Not that that describes Wally Wood in any way. Wally Wood was no, a- extremely Wally, detailed. But see, Wally Wood might be detailed, but Wally Wood stuff was not detailed everywhere. Yeah. He would spot. You know, I see pages now and, and stuff where the colors are, are detailed everywhere, the pencils and inks are detailed everywhere, and I don't, you know. This makes your ass tired. Well, it doesn't make me want to read the story. I want to be led through a story, and if if I'm if the table and the elbow and the phone are just as interesting as the expression on someone's face, the story is not worth reading. Okay.
He's making a point. But it's it's the only sound effect. Can I help you? The thing that I don't understand about most of this is it's not about storytelling. Most of the things that I don't like about all the newfangled comics out there is it's it's all about the page or the drawing or the effect. It's not really about telling the story. The story is moving along. You're not supposed to study the 5,000 figures in the background. That's one of the things I love about Mike's work. Mike is such a very good comic storyteller in his art. You know, Mike may not be um, the most flamboyant draftsman that's out there, but Mike knows how to tell stories. Oh, Mike's flamboyant. (laughs) (laughs) You saw the the pictures with the feather boa? Pictures? Uh, He's going to come over here. But but the thing about about detail, what I want to say is it's not about not you having detail. It's about having negative space, having using white and black to set that detail off when you want to focus on something. It's, it's like Hitchcock saying he wouldn't use a close-up in every scene. You'd use it at the big scene when it was important. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. And I look at most of these pages. There's people flying. You know, someone's talking and their elbow's coming out of the panel. They're not even punching somebody. It's like, well, okay, that's a powerful elbow gesture while you're talking. Can I trace that back to Burn Hogarth and blame him for that? Well, a lot of really, a lot of really talented artists do that stuff where they want to make something quote interesting, dynamic. You know? I'm gonna punch this and table. It's like, you know, that is that is that is your favorite and most hated scene. I hate that scene. You bring Justice that you, League Task Force it, it, all the time. Yeah, it, explain this. Insane as a child. There's a scene in Justice League Task Force. I remember when I was reading it as a kid. This drove me. There was like a mild it's argument the at the table. Yeah. This, it, there was a mild argument amongst all the heroes, and then Captain Adam stands up and punches the table for no apparent reason, <laughs> crushing the table. And everyone just stands around going, "Wow, that seems His muscle is like this huge full page spread of his muscles rippling and him punching a table like right in the Oh, I already have. Talk. I have all the covers. I have. Stop it. That's great comics right there. Yeah, but I remember <laughs> as a kid, I was just like, why did Captain, why did Captain Adam punch the table? I don't understand why we needed to have a full that page. Table, <laughs> that table just kept looking at him, well, that was a, and it, it had to learn comic, its place. I, the, uh, I remember when uh, Jim Shooter was editor-in-chief at Marvel, there was the rule where you had to have the characters show their powers before the big fight scene that happened mm. later on, because there was always going to be that. <laughs> Cyclops so, blasts open so the top no, of a why, soda can. Well, right, the story would open. <laughs> danger room. Literally, that's, I don't know, literally, but that was the fun thing that would happen. It's a danger room. They'd all be, right, they'd all be, there'd be the, the danger room scene, or, or, you know, I mean, you know, Sue would sneak up on somebody yeah, in the kitchen in the Fantastic Four's mansion, you know, or whatever. It's just, you know, and it's like, why? Well, we had to demonstrate the powers. You can't, you can't just all of a sudden have the powers magically appear on page 23. Yeah, because well, God what? knows you don't know what the invisible girl is going to be doing. <laughs> well, no, Tom, Tom, let alone the human they torch. they figured it out and they put a little front page thing, like, a, mm-hmm. a, you know, uh, inside front cover, or, or, or maybe it was like a paragraph that ran on the first page that would explain who the characters were and what their powers were. Invisible and then they didn't have to have write these horrible exposition scenes sure. Where people would have to demonstrate, you know, what's what's your what's your favorite uh, shooter uh, quote or shooter rule? You you've mentioned yeah, a few it times. Everyone, it, every, every, every every comic is someone's, someone's first. first comic. Yeah, every issue should no, read as a first woman, issue. Invisible woman, name is not ironic. Would be the description. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Fantastic, name, name is, is ironic. ironic. <laughs>
Mr. Fantastic, if he has stubble, it means he's been working too hard. <laughs> See, I, I, I understand. I understand. And I like Mr. Fantastic, I might add. I would, I would say in many ways, Sorry, I, I, I would agree with the basic idea. Digital, I mean, most comics are not friendly to new readers. They're visually incredibly dense. They're, they're, the storylines are complicated and it's hard to just pick up a comic and go oh this is inviting I want to see what this is about it's off-putting you know it's it's just like I could never figure this out the visual language is too complicated no you have to say that figure well right no but if you're raised on comics you're raised on comics but if you come to it late you pick up your average comic, and it's it would be kind of daunting for some, for for a non-reader. And you don't think so. It's kind of like watching your watching your first soap opera. You know, you you, you get into it. I think it's you, the taste. I think I think mm. part of it is. I think certain styles are more welcoming. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think, I think it depends on how your your like. I'm sort of curious, like thinking about how my parents raised me, what what made me like attached to things like comic books. Because you're blaming I your parents up, now. I blame I, I blame my parents for almost everything. Oh, uh, almost everything in my life. I blame your parents for the fact that I have too. I have all the my house smells like old newspaper. Well, speaking as someone who knows nothing about it's your parents, <laughs> Tom, yeah, so I feel terribly sorry for them at this moment. Yeah, they, they, they I want to know why your house me. smells like old newspaper. It's all those making a nest. Oh, I thought you were making a nest or something. <laughs> I own every single issue of uh, JLA. <laughs> no, of uh, the Tribune since 1950. <laughs> <laughs> I have them stacked in my living room. Until they not weird. Until they crush you. And it's you not, die. It's not weird. Alone. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. It's quaint what? and charming. So speaking of process, let's talk about lettering. Oh, God. Dot, dot, dot. You know, I actually had some, some emails, but... Uh, well, how gonna, long are we? We're going we're gonna to save those for <laughs> next week. Read one email. Time? Read one email. <laughs> All right. Let's give them something besides us talking about how comic books are made. Yeah, we um, want author reservation. Oh, like God. I've got one that is... Kinda, is I, we just proved it really is like sausages. You don't want to know yeah. how they're made. <laughs> it just tastes delicious after you've... I, I've, got, I've, got, I've got one email that is um, kind of a, a salutation and a, uh, a call-out for somebody. Hi, Chris. And check out. Co- I'm glad I checked out comic shots <laughs> at ifanboy.com. Do you do any other podcasts, Chris? <laughs> Every Thursday morning. Tom Cater's delicious sweet salsa. Um, and, I have an- and I have another email that has a question. So which one? Oh, come on. Just read them both. Come on. One at yeah, a time. come on. Let's go. Right. Read right. both at the same time. I want this is people left. something fun for a change. Third and a half. I'll read one while you read the other at the same time. Read both. I don't want to give them an hour of sex. Dude, Chris, read no more backwards. guests. Just you and Tom. This is from uh, this is from Tom. Not this Tom. Another Tom. Says, uh, hey, as a fellow reader of horror, and he's addressing horror? me. Hi, Chris. Because I... I, I read a lot of horror comics these days. It says, as a fellow reader like of horror comics Jim these days... school of reading emails. He's <laughs> <laughs> like... I'm setting it up. Do you want the fucking backstory? <laughs> Does no, ha- you've got to use your powers. <laughs> Stop. <Yeah. laughs> Tell us more about you. This is, this is going to listen just like around comics number one. All right. <laughs> Does Hackslash get enough love? So is someone's first episode. <laughs> 
God. That's, oh, poor people. I know it lacks. I know it lacks all the subtleties of lock and key, etc. But what a fun read! Seely's having a blast writing these little blood bass, and it comes through on the pages. It's kind of the same thing at, that Fear Agent has going for it, and everybody loves that title, including me. But because Hackslash is a sexed-up horror genre book, it gets poo-pooed in the peanut gallery. Anyway, I just wanted to give the title a little bit of affection. P.S. Check out uh, Comic Shots at ifanboy.com. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I like Hackslash. I think Tom likes Hackslash. I like Hackslash. So, yes, it's a good I book. like Tim Seeley. We, we don't talk about it too much because Tim will get a really big head. Oh, God. Have you ever seen him walk around? I was going to say, he barely fits in the stores. <laughs> I know. So, yes, so yes. Re- read, yeah. read Hackslash. Okay. Here is the second email. This is from uh, Brent Williamson. And by the way, you can uh, email us at uh, info at aroundcomics.com or uh, email me at chris at aroundcomics.com. Don't email me. I won't answer. Yeah, I won't answer. Um, hey, Around Comics guys. Brent from uh, Couchcasters in uh, Bloomington here. <laughs> I've uh, got a pressing question. Uh, Pressing comics question. the fucking Crankcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Since I've been listening to your show and all the shows in AC continuity, what? Crankcast, Devil and Me, Tom vs. the JLA, it's one of your listeners, Tom. You have continuity. I've gotten go. back into comics in a big way. I go to the library every week and pick up two to three trades or graphic novels, and you guys have helped me mature my taste from Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, etc., to things like Sandman, Fables, Robert Kirkman hey, stuff. Hey, never give up on the old Stuff. Ex Machina uh, and other the comics. They're great. I recently obtained some extra monthly income and was going to set up a poll list at my LCS. Uh, Phoenix, Phoenix Comics. Uh, <laughs> trouble is, I'm woefully... Recently I recently killed my mother. He <laughs> rifled through her drawers and took her pocket change. <laughs> I, Ooh, I can start a poll list. I'm woefully ignorant of what monthlies to get. I'm a few years behind in my continuity, so the final crisis and secret invasion of hurricanes... Carrying through the big money. two universe kind of scare me. So if I were to pick up four floppies a month, what do I put on my pull list? Do Fear I stick agent. with the same stuff, or do I just buy Fear different Fear bu- books every month? Thanks for Fear, the help. You know what I would do? I would... Uh, Did someone say fear agent? Fear agent? Hillary Barta says fear agent. Find a, it, it, find a good store near you, if you live near a good store, and just go in and like and take a look. Like the th- When people ask you to recommend something... Especially for a pull list. It's just like if you have a you can just drop it. Yeah. Just go in and when he says, oh, or do I have to just randomly pick? So well, kind of. I mean, like if you don't know what your tastes are, you you picked up Batman Superman this I'm week uncomfortable with on a water list. Terminology. You pull it? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds too much like a circle. Yeah, there you want a pull list? Dear around comics, I used to think your emails were bullshit until they happened to me. I'm here in a small little western town. I walked in to sign up for a pull list. But I mean, it is really, if you're interested in buying monthly books, it is sort of a crapshoot. Tom's pulling my list right now. If you don't know what your tastes are, it is going to be like, there's stuff that a lot of, you can look at your top ten selling books and pick four of those ten and maybe you'll like those, but who knows? Who knows what your tastes are going to be? 
don't get to as, as Tom is pulling me, I'm listing to the left. Yeah. Find, <laughs> if you're going to add four books to your list, find four books that you like that you want to make sure aren't sold out whenever you get to your comic shop on Wednesday or Friday or whenever, and put them on your pull list. Just make sure that they're there, and, and that and way... maybe in two yeah. months you won't like it, and then you pick something And then you, you, you drop it, and you put something don't else get too Don't get too hung up on... Um, I see a lot of times when people say, recommend what I should buy, because they're like afraid they're going to buy a bad comic book. If you're going to get into comic books, guess what? You're going to buy, gonna a, buy bad a bad comic yeah. book. There's no way to avoid it. At some point, you're going to think something's going to be really good, and you're going to pick something up, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to suck. Mm-hmm. So it's going to happen at some point. So don't get too worried that you're, you're making some huge misstep. Would that be a suck and pull list? Yes, there would yeah. be the suck <laughs> list. So Hillary Barta's suck list, coming out from around comics.com. Tom Cater Salsa. Not on list. Not on the nice. Tom Cater Salsa list. All right. I can see a few comics from here that so might stop be being, uh, Yeah, so uh, stop being such a pussy and just pick up four books. <laughs> <laughs> so you want me to hold your fucking hand? You want me to fly out to where you are? All right, well, I'll tell you. What's up? Uh, Do you want geez. me to go out there? Where are you from? Dear reader. Disturbing end to the show, but let's go with it. All right, well, I'll tell you what. Let's, uh, let's, let's wrap this yeah, puppy up. Uh, Hillary Barta, uh, upcoming projects from uh, from you. Oh, gee, I don't know if I can take the pressure now. Uh, I'm still drinking in Munden's Bar at comicmix.com. Thank you, Dom. Thank you. Various and Fear Agent Yeah, projects. I have a few uh, backups coming from Fear Agent. A few other things to be announced. Nobel for that. <laughs> not until we get a name. The Nobel Prize? No. Okay. Nobel uh, until you have a title. Oh, uh, you and the puns. Excuse me. Pardon me. Wordplay Barda. We're Hillary moving along Barda. now. All right, Jason Malay? Uh, current issues of Rex Mundy from Dark Horse. Uh, Hillary showing. Uh, also I'm holding online, the comic up to the microphone. Dark Horse. Uh, Tale the Canterville Ghost with Steve Bryant. That do we classical comic? Classical comic. Uh, I think it'll be out next fall. Fall okay. of '09. Uh, Munden Spar at various time from ComicMix.com and. <laughs> Hit the bell. Hit the bell. And since it's Mike Grell has done an interview yes. on it, uh, the Pilgrim uh, should be coming out sometime in the next few months for comic books. Nice, Mix. going uh, Mike Grell. So Very Mike nice. Grell is, is drawing that and Hero when I was a kid. So I uh, am looking forward. You're to You're busy. That. He saved you. So, no, no. He saved somebody. Good, artistic hero. Oh, it's okay. kind of like you know, yeah, sports like hero, hero, artistic hero. You have sports real hero, hero, fireman. Yeah, right. uh, Police officer. Yeah. <laughs> Artistic hero. <laughs> and mis- <laughs> finally, Mr. Bryant. Really um, Athena Voltaire from Ape Comics. Oh, yes, Athena Voltaire. Uh, Canterville Ghost from Classical Comics when Jason said it's coming out. And I'm in the process of begging and pleading independent creators to let me do backup stories for them for free. Cool. Wow. Okay, maybe not begging. I wanted that to offering. be more like this. Tom versus the Flash and uh, Tom Carey Nice. Uh, 11 o'clock comics every Thursday or Friday whenever <laughs> Vince gets done editing. Angry Old Man Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to everyone complain about when they started making characters in color. <laughs> 
Chris, what if I want to make a good drink with my comics? You can go to ifanboy.com every Thursday morning and read my column, Comic Shots, which uh, combines booze and comics. 11 o'clock comics. If you feel angry about comics, go to 11 o'clock comics. Oh, I need to send you that link. Hillary's got a blog uh, um, with limericks of dead people. Scatlovers.com. All right. That's uh, it. Leave, leave us an iTunes music review, if you would. Thank uh, you. Check out our sponsor, InStockTrades.com. Um, be good Jesus to your neighbors. Christ, this is sick. <laughs> How many <laughs> fucking plugs <laughs> <there? laughs> <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we didn't give them enough <laughs> these kids to justify here. it. Okay. You know, and and we didn't even really talk about it. Thank you for uh, for listening to us for uh, 200 episodes. 200 episodes. Uh, you are sad. <laughs> Not as sad as we are, though. All right. I've been here for a lot of those. Oh, yes, you have. Almost uh, about 180 or something. Yeah, you don't look a day over 180. I can't wait until uh, we're in the old folks' home doing episode... <laughs> episode 925. And we're complaining, oh, I remember when comic books used to be 22 pages. Back in the day when the episodes were good. Yeah. Remember whenever they, they were on paper? Yeah. When they colored them on computers. Remember episode 33? Uh, that was a humdinger. <laughs> to download it to your tiny devil box <laughs> that plays that demon music. We will be back next Monday with another full-length episode. In the meantime. And between time. Thanks, sir. Thank you. We'll be everywhere in and around, and around comics. comics. Strip mine murder. <laughs> That's from last week. Chris is killing people in the strip mine. <laughs> expressed in the interviews or by guests of the show are solely those of the individuals expressing them and may not reflect the opinions of Around Comics. Any reproduction, rebroadcast, or retransmission without the express written consent of Around Comics is strictly prohibited. All content presented in this program is the sole property of Around Comics, and this has been an Around Comics production, copyright 2008.